The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years. Makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sportscaster and her son, where sports bridges the gap between generations. I'm a baby boomer. I hate admitting I'm a baby boomer. My teenage son, Jason, well, he's Generation Z. I am your host, Peggy Kaczynski, 12-time Emmy Award-winning sportscaster at NBC Chicago for 17 years. And I'm Jason Canander, contributing writer for various websites, including Minor League Ball, Fan Sided Busting Brackets, and Windy City. And I'm in high school for just a few more months. And you are my son yeah that's right you know we don't always get along and I, I really hate actually saying that now now that we're you know, almost uh, a year in almost. i don't really see you that often so to be completely honest with you it'd be pretty hard for us to not get along i i agree with that the bottom line is we both love sports and it bridges the gap between us the generations between us because we could talk sports all the time we cross over the generations discussing sports from yesterday today and tomorrow and in this episode we are going to talk about it's the start of a new decade, mm-hmm. 2020s. Yeah. Oh my gosh, 2020. It's hard for me to say. Um, what does 2020 mean to you, Jason? Uh, it means that this is a decade where I'm going to become an adult. I'm going to be in college. By the end of the decade, I'll be completely done with school no matter what. Um, it's like a completely like a new beginning. I mean, I'm the same person, but at the end of the day, like I understand that by the end of this decade, like I'm going to be like a man, I'm going to be through college. I'm going to be well off in my career. And it's kind of weird to think about, but it's pretty cool. Oh my gosh. That is crazy to think of by the end of the decade. I'm not even thinking, I'm not even thinking about 2029. I'm thinking about 2020 right now. And I, I just can't even fathom you 10 years from now being 27 almost 28 years old what do you think you'll be doing uh hopefully sports broadcasting if everything goes right um what would be your dream like let's let's say you're going to be six years out of college so at in 10 years what would be your dream um i mean trying to stay realistic but at the same time understanding like what i can do hopefully it would be um, having some sort of role in sports broadcasting with a major media outlet in a big city or on a national stage. Yeah, that would be. And I know what I know. What you'd like to be in Chicago. Mm, eventually. Yeah, South Side. Maybe. Look out, Jason Benetti. There's another Jason looking for you. Um, hey, a reminder, if you love our show, please leave us a review. This is something new, Jason. We just signed up for this. Go to ratethispodcast.com slash sportscaster, and all you have to do is follow the very simple instructions, and they'll tell you how you can rate us. So I was thinking about the 20, I guess the 2000s, when um, the, the, the decade started in 2000. That was really like the heart of my career. You were young. You were just a little I wasn't kid. Born in two, I wasn't alive in 2000. Well, not in 2000, but I'm talking about in the early 2000s. That's when my career really, you know, was the meat of my career covering sports in Chicago. Um, we had a White Sox World Series. Uh, we had a Bears trip to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. We had three Cubs playoff appearances. And... Um, some really like the bulls in the draft lottery was 
exciting and it was amazing because you know they struck it big um derrick rose brian urlacher ozzy Gian, steve bartman was was the beginning <laughs> of this um patrick kane there's devin hester joakim noah carlos zambrano these are all guys that i covered lance briggs tommy harris peanut tillman um the bulls went from tim floyd to scott skiles that's right i forgot about Vinny del negro and bill cartwright and i mean it was really it was really crazy. We covered a lot of Chicago Wolves games too because they won the the I think it was called Calder the Turner Cup. and the Calder Turner Cup. Cup. Yeah, so um, you know it, it, it's it's incredible to think everything in the last twenty years of my career in Chicago that I was able to cover. If you look back and from when you started, you know, being a sports fan in the Chicagoland area. Who are the guys that started getting you interested and um, from a young age? And then, you know, just start naming some names in the past. You're 17 years old. So let's say in the past, what, 10 years? Would yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. So I started watching sports in 2012. So that was the last time the White Sox had a winning record. Um, the big guys from that team, it was Chris Sale, um, Paul Konerko, Adam Dunn. Alexi Ramirez, AJ Pruszynski. So those White Sox players, I'd say, were the ones that I remember the most from the start of my time watching sports. For the Blackhawks, it'd be Kane, Taves, um, Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, kind of that big four. Um, for the Bulls, it was Derrick Rose, I guess. Um, I got into sports right when he got injured. So a little more Jimmy Butler and Joakim Noah and Luol Deng. And, um, on the Bears' side, I think it was... Alshon Jeffrey and Brandon Marshall. Um, I remember my first year was like the year where Tim Jennings and Peanut Tillman had a big year, both had big years. Um, so my very early time watching Chicago sports was exciting because the Bears just missed the playoffs and the White Sox had just missed the playoffs and the Hawks won Stanley Cups and the Bulls were making it to the conference finals and the second round of the playoffs. But the second half of the decade wasn't nearly as nice to me. Okay, let, let, let's. I'm going to go team by team and you tell me who your favorite okay let's start with let's go back to the bears uh who's the favorite coach that you have watched the bears with so my choices would be lovey smith mark trussman john fox and matt Nagy. so without a doubt matt Nagy. which is so sad though that you've had it's four very sad. coaches and it's sad knowing i won't get a championship from any of my teams while i'm in high school oh gosh that's what i know that really bothers you mm -hmm. that really bothers you that you're gonna go away to college uh pick right, up some right when the white Sox are getting good Right when the Bears are still relevant and Bulls will have a couple more lottery picks under their belt. So, yeah, it's pretty frustrating. I, you always leave the Cubs out. I'm not a Cubs fan, so it doesn't really, <laughs> it doesn't really concern me. Um, who was your favorite Bears player? My favorite Bears player growing up? Um, that's a tough question. It's funny because your that's entire really, life really has question. been in the 2000s. So. Yeah. Wow. Um... Probably Alshon Jeffrey or Devin Hester. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. My look at my favorite uh, Bears players are guys that I covered, not so much in terms of, you know, athletes. I mean, athletic-wise, it would be Brian Urlacher because he was so good. Um, but for so many reasons, I mean, look at the teams I covered with Lovey Smith, you know, Urlacher, Briggs, Tommy Harris, um, uh, oh my goodness, uh, uh, Matt Forte, Devin Hester, um, 
even, you know, Jay Cutler, think of all the, right. the Jay Cutler stories that we had. Um, I had so many, I, I had a lot of guys I enjoyed covering. Uh, oh, Olin Krutz. How could I forget Olin Krutz? Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed that team because, you know, sometimes you could just really connect with guys and, you know, you, they, they could be really mad at you or they could really have fun with you. And um, it was just a pleasure to cover the Lovey Smith Bears for all those years. Uh, the Bulls, you know, it was interesting. I really liked Joakim Noah. I, I just liked his uniqueness. I liked his grit and how hard he worked. Um, but the number of coaches that I have covered with the, the Bulls is like you with the Bears. I mean, it's it's kind of ridiculous at this point. Right. The whole Derrick Rose, you know, I started out thinking, listen, doesn't matter how old you are when you're a professional athlete, you have to be able to handle it. And I've come around to understanding that, you know, there are a lot of young guys that are becoming professional athletes and that they do make mistakes and they get emotional and, you know, they have egos and it's hard for them. Um, so I've learned more through the Derrick Rose um, era with the, the, the Bulls um, how to deal with young athletes like that, which I, I didn't always like. The Cubs were always so up and down, up and down, up and down. That was always hard for me because they were the first team I covered and the first team I was a fan of and when I was growing up. And technically the last team that you covered. And well. technically the last team because because I, yeah. you're right, I semi-retired right after they won the World Series. Mm-hmm. Um, the changes in the Cubs, they are so different from the teams that I covered that it's a completely different team now, completely right. different ownership, front office, everything. So I don't even compare. The White Sox have a soft spot in my heart because that was my mom's favorite team. And my grandfather would always, you know, they, they could get tickets back in the 60s and 70s for back when they had ladies night. And so we would all go, I want to say they were Tuesday night games. I don't know why I remember that. I, I could be wrong. Um, but my mom was a Sox fan and, you know, God rest her soul. Uh, I, I really love how much of a fan she was. So there's a soft spot in my heart. And I really enjoyed the Ozzie Guillen World Series team. It was just fun, um, a bunch of characters, uh, guys who all had career years, um, some some true skill and talent as well. So um, I, I loved that. The Blackhawks, now the last 10 years of this decade so far. The only 10 years of this decade. A decade's yeah. 10 years. I can't even stop and think of it. I keep thinking we're like... <laughs> what year are we? I, I'm like, aren't we in 2020? Aren't we in 2010? Yeah. Um, but the, the Blackhawks really reignited the love of hockey in this city. And um, I hope they get back to that because it was unlike anything we have seen. People were learning the game and loving them at the same time. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, who am I missing? Blackhawks, Bears, Bulls, Cubs, and Sox. And, so and then, you know, of course, we have, you know, the, the WNBA team, which you were an intern of this past year, the Chicago Sky, um, the Red Stars, who have um, mega talent with uh, female soccer players, and, um, of course, the Chicago Fire. So, I mean, this is a city that's pretty incredible to cover sports in. DePaul, Northwestern, I wouldn't Loyola. Say, I wouldn't say incredible. I'd say miserable. No, you have no idea, Jason. When you start your career, you're going to realize how lucky we are to have so many professional teams and college teams in this city as right. well. So it's exciting to think about that. It's exciting to see um, what the future is going to bring us. I'm not sure what to expect from uh, the future with uh, sports in Chicago, but give me... Give me a reason with each team, Jason, that people should be optimistic. And let's start with the Cubs. Um, 
it's pretty impossible to be optimistic with the Cubs. No money to spend this offseason. Um, just have to hope that guys like Lester and Hendricks and um, that and Schwarber and Hayward, that they can bounce back and they can find what made the 2016 team so special. Um, I'm really not a fan of how the roster looks at this point. I think that the bench is incredibly weak. The bullpen is incredibly weak, and every single starter is over the age of 30. So this will be the year that determines if the Cubs are going to go on more of a downhill or downward spiral, or if they're going to stay like in their window of contention, it'll be very interesting. Um, as for the White Sox, I think that the White Sox are pro- they're going to be the most successful team in Chicago in 2020. The roster is built perfectly. The starting rotation is good, not great, but they're going to get help from guys like Kopik and Rodon throughout the year coming back from injury. Um, so the young starters are going to be very, very exciting. The bullpen is very well-rounded. They have ground ball guys like Bummer and C-Sheck. They have hard-throwing guys like Birdie and Johnson that will be coming up. And then, of course, the young guys, Robert, Jimenez, Moncada, Anderson. It's going to be a very, very fun team to watch. They might not win the Central, but the Central is a worse division in baseball. So if there's a team that's going to be able to sneak up and win a division, it's going to be the White Sox. Bulls. Mm. <laughs> that's a hard one. Reason to be optimistic is at the end of the year, I think they're going to fire Gar Foreman and John Paxson. They're going to fire Jim Boylan. They're going to have a top five pick in the draft, and they're going to pick a star guard, whether it be Anthony Edwards or Cole Anthony, and they're going to completely sweep the house. It's going to be a completely new-looking team next year. They're going to play with a different energy, different motivation, and it'll be interesting to watch because they have too much young talent to stay at the bottom. It's, it's an internal problem, and once the front office is sweeped, I think that they're going to play a lot differently, not necessarily better, but it'll still be fun to watch. It makes it optimistic. Quick question for you when it comes to the NBA. Because it is a player's league, what is the best fit for a coach of an NBA team? Because it's a player's league. Mm, I think for this Bulls team, I think that it would be a young coach that they they can relate to. Um, Potentially, I I hate to stoop down to the college level, but I think that a college coach would 150% be the right fit. Um, As to who that is, I'm not entirely sure. Of course, you have the blue blood coaches. None of them are going to leave. So um, I don't know. It'll be very, very interesting. I don't think that they do what they did with Boylan where they take someone off the bench to be the new coach because that didn't work out. I don't think they're going to take an assistant from across the league. I think that they're going to take another college coach, maybe Jay Wright from Villanova. He's had interest in several NBA jobs. So um, I think it'll be very, very interesting. But they don't have a superstar that can kind of play around and um, overrule the coach in a way. Um, So I think that I I, I really don't have, have any idea what direction they should go in nor do I have an idea what direction they're going to go in. So it'll be very interesting. Another team that is seems to be struggling with, um, they do have the young coach, is the Blackhawks. How long is that window open? And is there... Next next year's a year where that's going to determine because Kane and Taves, Kane has stayed strong. Taves has kind of found a middle ground between, he's no longer at the peak of his career, but he's still a productive center. Um, so I think that with the Blackhawks, the hope would be that they can find what they had last decade. They still have some of the pieces. They still have Debrinkit, Strom, Kane, Taves. Um, it'll I, honestly, it'll just be they're very hot and cold. They need to find a hot streak. They need to ride with it because the NHL is a league where any team can win. There's no clear favorite. So that if they can catch fire and they can find momentum, I think that that's a reason to be optimistic in itself. And the Bears. Um, with the Bears, I think that this past season was a complete fluke. They lost a lot of close games that they shouldn't have lost. 
the blame was kind of spread all over the field, and I 100% think that they should take the route that the Tennessee Titans did, which is bring in a veteran quarterback for competition with Mitch Trubisky. Whether that be Andy Dalton or someone else, I think that giving Trubisky like the little like a little bit of competitive boost would be huge. They still have the pieces. Nobody, with the exception of Haha Clinton Dix, is um, pending free agent, so they don't have that many holes to fill. I think the new offensive scheme is well overdue, and I think that with their second-round pick, they should either go with a tight end or a quarterback. All right, and speaking of the Bears, that's where we are going to focus on the rest of the show in talking about the next decade and and what happened and how can they fix this. Uh, Dan Weeder, our friend from the Chicago Tribune, award-winning sports writer from the Tribune, he's covered the Bears for the past seven seasons. He's going to join us to help us put some perspective on what we can expect this next decade at Hallis Hall and how can they learn from their mistakes. And Dan joins us right now. Dan, we were just talking about the last decade in sports in Chicago. And Jason here, who is 17 years old, is quite upset because he is graduating from high school without what, Jason? Without a championship. Actually, without a playoff win. Without a a, a playoff win. And it's very troubling to him. We were talking generally about sports in Chicago, but let's talk about the Bears. And thank you for taking the time to join us, by the way. But... Who would have thought 10 years ago that we would be kind of back in the position we were, you know, full circle 10 years later? It's driving me crazy. What is going on with this team? What went wrong? You know that scene in Elf where Will Ferrell goes through the revolving door at the department store like 100 times in a row and then he goes out to the curb and he throws up. After he throws up, he goes right back in the revolving door and does it. That's what it feels like at times covering the bears and watching them sort of go through the same perpetual cycle over and over again and not being able to clear the hurdle that they need to clear. And so uh, at some point you think they're going to figure something out to, to have a breakthrough. And then you just wind up in the same sort of spin that we've been in for, for a decade now, really. Let me ask you, cause I wasn't, I didn't cover the team this year. So I wasn't at, at training camp. What what exactly happened at training camp? I know that there were some red flags where some of you reporters were were talking about, you know, Mitch is not looking great, but we're, we have such limited time to actually watch. So, you know, it's hard to actually put a pin on it. But they were saying, oh, no, no, he's doing good. Take us back to training camp. What were the warning signs? Yeah, you know. The, the first warning signs were that there were a lot of interceptions being thrown, right? And this was after on reporting day where Mitch had basically said to us that I'm a different quarterback now. This is my second year in the system. I don't need to be given free reign to throw interceptions in training camp to do this trial and error thing. I, it, it's time for me to start learning how to take care of the ball within this offense. Well, and then the interceptions started happening. And obviously you got sort of the <laughs> fallback rhetoric that, oh, yeah, we're, we're just trying things out. We're testing things. Our defense is really good. There were all these reasons sort of attached to why the interceptions were so prevalent. But you watch it on a day-in, day-out basis, and you say, well, wait a second. The Bears have a, a good defense, but they're not historically great to the standpoint that, you know, a starting quarterback can't consistently have practices where he's not turning the ball over. And then there were just too many days that were just sloppy and clunky. And Peggy, you've covered enough of it to know it's not necessarily a, a specific day or a specific period or a spe- it's just a feel over time. Right. And you get into the second week of camp and the third week of camp and it's just kind of clunky and out of rhythm. And you could kind of feel Matt Nagy's 
frustration bubbling up. And he understood that something was just not clicking in. And, and, and I do, I do remember, you know, writing on the last day of training camp that, you know, be careful, this is going to be a bit of a roller coaster. Now at the time, my assumption was that the roller coaster would happen in September and they'd get through the bumps and they'd come home from London and it would be like, okay, now we've, now we've found our stride and we found our rhythm. It didn't happen. The roller coaster happened from week one to week 17 and they never got out of it. And that surprised me. The struggles early didn't surprise me, but that they persisted for the entirety of the year. That was truly alarming. And as you mentioned, yeah, there were some, some red flags early on in August. I want to stick with the quarterback position for a second. Um, national championship games on tonight. So the focus on the college games really strong. Any quarterbacks in particular that you like potentially in the second round or in the fourth round of the draft this year um, to be not necessarily the starter next year, but to be competition for Trubisky? So I, I will, in full disclosure, I have a lot more homework to do on the guys that will be available for the draft, as you mentioned, second and fourth round for the Bears for where they will be picking. I will say this, that the Bears have not always followed through on stated philosophies to, you know, roll the dice on a quarterback in the draft, you know, see if you can find somebody. Right. And, and sometimes it's just worth rolling those dice. You think that the Seahawks are, are happy they rolled the dice on Russell Wilson after a bunch of other teams passed on him and he lasted into the third round. You think the Cowboys are happy that Dak Prescott lasted till the fourth round and they were able to find their guy, their long term answer at the position after day one, after day two in, in, in the case of the Cowboys. And so you have to be open minded to the idea that if you find a guy who is flawed, they're all flawed and has weaknesses that, that you can still roll the dice and try to squeeze something out of it. Because when you go back and look at things, some of the, the, the picks that the bears have missed on in rounds two and three and four, wouldn't you rather miss on you know, a, a, a roll of the dice on the most important position on the field, just in the rare chance that you, you hit on a Russell Wilson or a Dak Prescott or, you know, the Patriots draft Jimmy Garoppolo in the late second round after the bears took ego Ferguson. Think about that. Oh. Who would you rather have, right? Ego Ferguson or Jimmy Garoppolo? And the Patriots obviously didn't need Jimmy Garoppolo. They eventually traded him. They got capital back. But these are the things that we're talking about. The Bears' struggles have persisted for years and decades and a quarter century because they can never get the quarterback position right. So until you get it right, why not keep taking swings at it wherever you can and hope that eventually you get one right? And that I just don't think they've done enough at it. And to your point, they certainly are going to have to look long and hard in April at, at adding adding one there, even if they are firmly behind Mitch as their starter, and even if they go out in free agency and sign a, a second quarterback, what's the harm in, in taking a, a, a roll of the dice on a guy in the draft? Absolutely, and Ryan Pace had said in the past um, that he would draft a quarterback every year, and that, first of all, that has not come to fruition. That has not been true, and if you look at it, if the Bears actually have drafted a quarterback every year, mm. maybe you end up with a guy like Gardner Minshew, who, although he didn't necessarily win in Jacksonville, he still had a good year statistically and still showed a little bit of potential. Stuff like that is the stuff that I believe personally has hurt the Bears, because there isn't a competent quarterback behind Trubisky. You can't just hand the ball to Chase Daniel. Um, so do you think that in the future, not necessarily just this draft, but in in drafts following 2021 2022 that that philosophy is going to change more so to the pick a quarterback every year type of thing 
I think they're going to have to get that position right. However, they have to get that position right. And they just continue to get it wrong and they get it wrong in, in grand fashion. In some ways you have situations like the, the, the Jay Cutler area where, where, and, and that's my biggest fear with Trubisky is that eventually he becomes a Cutler type quarterback who mm-hmm. wows you enough with his flashes to make you think, ah, it's, it's right there. We're, we're right on the verge. We're going to get it. You know, the breakthrough is coming. And then eight years later, you're, you've got, just as many losses as you have wins, right? You have a 500 quarterback and, you know, one playoff appearance and <laughs> that's it, right? And so that's the, the fear that you get stuck in that cycle. But certainly until you have that position answered, you're just going to be one of these teams that's struggling and searching and grasping and never sustaining success. And I think that for me coming out of this last season with the Bears is is the most maddening thing about it uh, of all is, is that – you thought they were finally positioned to sustain success, that it wasn't just going to be a one season flash and then they disappear. And while they had the one season flash and now a dramatic regression, and now it's up to Matt Nagy to show that they were more like the team that we saw in 2018 than 2019. And if he can't, well, where are you? You're, you're spinning through the revolving door and throwing up on the curb and getting back. in. in a- oh my God. Like a really bad new year's Eve or something. My God, <laughs> hey, Dan, I'm going to, I'm going to bring up the article that you wrote in the Tribune, which is I swear to God, you want to throw up, read your article, and then just make everyone feel really, really bad about how many quarterbacks the Bears have actually passed on. Oh, let's see. Um, Tom Brady, sixth round in 2000. Uh, who's a player that the Bears t- took right before Tom Brady was picked? Um, how about kicker Paul Edinger? Mm-hmm. Uh, how about Drew Brees with the Saints? Second round, uh, pick number 32 by the Chargers in 2001. Who did the Bears pick uh, before that? Um, David Terrell, the wide receiver um, at eight. Uh, Russell Wilson, you brought him up. Yeah, he was a third round pick by the Seahawks in 2012. Now, the Bears did take Elshon Jeffrey before him, but who else did they take? Shay McClellan. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That was one of the hard ones. I'm looking at all of these. Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, Ego Ferguson, like you said. Um, we all know that I don't even want to get into the Mahomes. I don't even want to get into it. Or Deshaun Watson, um, Lamar Jackson. You know, the Bears did get Roquan Smith, but I, I don't understand what is going on up at Hallis Hall when it comes to the quarterback position. And I'm wondering. Is it because I, I don't want to say that Ryan Pace is a liar because Jason brought up he brought he he said it himself that his philosophy was to draft a quarterback every year and he hasn't done it. Is it that there are too many inexperienced people in the decision making roles at Hallis Hall and everybody is going through the same learning curves at the same time and that is the recipe for disaster. Well, in retrospect, in uh, on 2017, it, it becomes clear that the Bears didn't have enough of the pieces in place to make that decision in the most effective way possible, right? You've got a front office that was essentially drafting a quarterback for a coaching staff that they didn't know who it was yet, right? They had John Fox and his staff for mm-hmm. another year. There, it was already a foregone conclusion that that staff was essentially on their last legs and on their way out the door. And so you didn't have what the Chiefs and the Texans had when they were drafting Mahomes and Watson, which is an offensive coaching staff that's involved in the process and tells you what they're looking for and is in uh, unison. And, and and there's there's so many more checks and balances to the equation when you go about it that way. And you need people above the general manager to ask more questions and say, OK, uh, I understand that we, we really want to get the quarterback position right. Why don't we take a look at the 
national championship winning quarterback who turned the Clemson program around and whose head coach says that he's the Michael Jordan of college football. Why don't we make sure that we check every single box on our research on this quarterback before we move on to the next set? Even if you've got questions about him, just make sure you check every box. Make sure you bring him into Hallis Hall. Let's all meet with them. Let's have dinner with them. Let's let's go through the process thoroughly and make sure that we don't leave something unresearched or unchecked or unfelt, right? Sometimes it's a feeling. And the Texans talked a lot about the feeling they had when they got Deshaun Watson in their visit for a pre-draft visit or in their building for a pre-draft visit, the way he interacted with people, just the, the vibe that was there. And so it's all these things, right? There's loose bolts. Rich Campbell, my partner at the Tribune, and I talk about it all the time. There's always just a lot of loose bolts in the operation at Hallis Hall and with what the Bears do. And, and what that ends up leading to is sometimes three or four of those loose bolts get really loose and they fall off and the team plummets to you know last place like they spent four consecutive years in last place before 2018. And so it, it, this is it's just part of it. You got to make sure in this cutthroat world that is in the NFL that you understand how difficult it is to succeed at a high level and how many talented people it takes performing their roles at a high level with checks and balances and all those things every single day to be able to achieve success and then sustain it. And it just doesn't seem to be in the formula in Lake Forest often enough. So what was the reaction at Hallis Hall after the article that you guys did in the Tribune uh, detailing the draft decision-making and um, the, the number of sources you guys had and spoke to? Uh, it was incredible. I'm curious what the reactions, did you get any comments, any pull aside from any, um, any higher-ups or anything at Hallis Hall? None. Seriously? Honest to God, and and sort of surprisingly, um, in, and we had given them every opportunity. Uh, we were very forward with them in advance and in, in letting them know, hey, this story's coming. Um, here's what we're working on. This is the the general premise of it. Obviously, we couldn't show them our entire hand of what we were working on. And, and here's how we're going about it. Here's what we're doing. Plenty of opportunities to to for folks to speak on the record. But plenty of opportunities for people to help with background. We got some of that. Overall, there wasn't a lot of back and forth, particularly afterwards, after publication. And so I, I to this day, don't really know how that piece was received or whether there were. I would assume if they took exception with it, we would have heard and that, they, you know, they would have come after us and picked out flaws in it or things that they deemed as inaccurate. We gave them every opportunity to kind of make sure that we didn't leave those stones unturned and so surprisingly I, I, you've been around long enough i'd be mm. curious to, to hear why you reacted the way you did when i said very little well because it doesn't matter um you know when we have sources that tell us things there's there's always there's always some holes that we don't know um that we don't we don't have anyone telling us and we can only go with what our sources have told us and confirmed so typically when that happens they want you to know here's what you don't know or we can't tell you what you don't know but listen this was this way and they they pull you aside um either angrily or you know you get called to lovey smith's office the principal's office like you know many people would during during the lovey era um you know or uh, a, a front office guy would come and kind of pull you aside a pr guy would pull you aside and say hey you know they're not really happy with this or hey you know I, i'm stunned that there was absolutely none i'm i'm really really stunned by that yeah lit literally none you, you know and so <laughs> in some ways i think we took that as a okay 
you know, must not have mm-hmm. holes in it. Right? right. There must not have been things that they took exception to and they're just owning this in a, a certain way. But uh, yeah, and it, it really honestly, uh, back to Jason's question, this always circles back to the quarterback and, and people say, you know, sorry to ask you again about the quarterback all the time. And I say, no, always ask about the quarterback because that is what this league is. And a lot of the other things that we cover, uh, you know, in terms of the success of a team, they mean something. But if you don't have that quarterback locked down and in place, you're just a ship without a sail. That's Ryan Pace's words, you know, the ship without a sail. And that's what the Bears have been forever. And and I don't know what it's going to take to get them to, to get the, the sail on the ship. As for the upcoming offseason, what would your expectations be for the Bears? Because in my eyes, this is still a team that doesn't have a ton of holes. I think that Maybe if you make one big move on the offensive front, big-ish move, maybe that's signing Eric Ebron or another tight end, and maybe one move on the defensive end if HaHa Clinton Dix leaves, maybe you had an impact safety. Um, obviously, that all depends on the cap space and the money situation. But what are your expectations for the route that the Bears will take this offseason? I think your top priority has to be figuring out a way to get more stability on your offensive line as well as addressing that tight end position to the point where you can actually get production out of the tight end position in an offense that features tight ends. And and that was such a handicap for the bears in 2019 is not having anything at all in that position and, and to not have a single tight end on the roster with his number of guys that they had go over a hundred yards receiving for the season, not for a game for the season was an embarrassment and it cost them. And then you watch the chiefs play over the weekend and you see what Travis Kelsey does to unlock so many things within that offense. And you say, Oh, okay. This is a very similar offense to what the bears run. And this is what it looks like when you have a, a high level tight end producing. Now I'm not under any delusion that they're going to find a Travis Kelsey in free agency or the draft, but get somebody that can produce on an every week basis for you and watch what that does for your running game, for your receivers, for the offense as a whole with the rhythm that they, they get into and the way you can create mismatches. That's got to be a top priority. They've got to figure out a way to address that. And they've got to figure out how that matches with both the free agency board and then their draft board in April. I'll tell you a little story that I heard um, this past week. Uh, a friend who has um, a son playing football went on a Big Ten visit and offensive line room walked into the meeting room at the at the university. Um, oh, that's beautiful. The facilities are great. This is amazing. And up on the board is the Chicago Bears offensive line and a list of all the things they do wrong. Isn't that unbelievable? And this kid just looked up. He's from Chicago. He looks up and he was like, wow, wow. I was like, oh, do you have a picture of it? I'd love to see that. You know? yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see that. So I'm not going to reveal what the school was, you know, where it was or anything like that. But uh, they, the, the, the line, you know, between the injuries and um, guys playing out of positions, it just, it all started from there and it just rolled downhill. It was so bad. Um, give us something positive. Tell me, tell me that, tell me that Mitch Trubisky is going to be healthy. Tell me that he's not turning into Jay Cutler emotionally, uh, as he seemed to be at the podium near the end of the season. Give us something that we should, you know, is maybe this was just a fluke year, you know, give us something positive, Dan, that, that we can think about when it comes to the bears. Well, look, this defense was still very, very good, and they didn't have the takeaways, and they didn't score the touchdowns like they did a year ago, but they finished in the top five in the league in points allowed, and you're going to 
feel good about that every year if that happens, right? And there, there, there's improvements they need to make. They need to get more of a pass rush. They need to get more takeaways. But you still have playmakers. Khalil Mack is still a Chicago Bear. Roquan Smith is still a Chicago Bear. Eddie Jackson is still a Chicago Bear. You have core young playmaking pieces on your defense that can give you the opportunity to be a top-tier defense, you know, that's top eight, top 10 in the league for sure. And in years like two years ago, you can be the best in the league at times, you know, creating takeaways and scoring. And so that gives you an opportunity to win games. Now you got to squeeze something out of the offense. I don't see any scenario in which Mitch becomes Jay emotionally. <laughs> That's just They're not the same person and Mitch will never be that prickly. I think Mitch is a, a wonderful dude. I think he is easy to work with from our standpoint. I think he has his priorities straight. I think his mind is in the right spot i think he he works hard it means a lot to him i think he really wants to make this opportunity work the biggest question i have is is he capable of making plays Mm. (laughs) it's a pretty big question to have about a quarterback right but even matt Nagy said at the end of the season look you know sometimes it comes down to when there are plays there to be made you got to make them It, it can't be perfectly blocked it can't be a perfect route everything can't doesn't need to be perfect for you to have those opportunities. And we saw too many times this year where Mitch had a guy open deep, wide open, and he overthrows him or he underthrows him or he doesn't see him. There were too many moments where he just missed the chance to make the play that changes the game and turns, uh, you know, a a field goal into a touchdown or a punt into a field goal or, you know, whatever it is, all of a sudden – you, you, you saw it in the flashes on Thanksgiving Day against the Lions and then the next week against the Cowboys when he made plays, the offense functioned, everybody felt good, there was a, a contagious vibe on both sides of the ball and it all sort of clicked. And so that's what they're searching for. My problem is, is I think that there is a difference in the way the head coach and the general manager are viewing this heading mm. into 2020 in terms of one more willing to be patient and look at the wishful thinking side of things and the other saying, Hey, come on, (laughs) we we've got to acknowledge the body of work here and set some demands and expectations that if they go unmet, we've got a fallback plan and we've got consequences for it. And so I know you asked for, for something positive and they got a negative note with that answer, but you hear it that they have a really good defense. You just have to find a way to unlock the offense. And the easiest way to unlock the offense is to get your quarterback to play at the level that he's advertised to be able to play at. And on that note, one last quick question of the three, Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy and Mitch Trubisky, who who does the year 2021 mean the most to their future in Chicago? It's a tough question. I would say it has to be Trubisky though. Uh, It has to be Trubisky. I think we're all of the feeling that if the struggles that happened in 2019 continue through week one, two, three, four, and we get to October 1st of next year, and we're, we're still having these same conversations about inconsistencies and struggles, the patience is going to run very thin on the outside of Alice Hall, and it's going to start to run very thin on the inside of Alice Hall from the coaching staff to his teammates. The Bears can't sit back and think that their window of opportunity to be in the mix for championships is going to stay open forever. And if you believe your defense is good enough to keep you in that window of opportunity, then you need to take advantage when the opportunities are there. And so for me, the, there's no promises right now that that Mitch uh, – 
is still the starter by Halloween next year, right? I think we, we'd probably all agree on that. Mm-hmm. And if he if he's not, obviously that he's the first domino. But is if Mitch fails and Ryan does not go out this offseason and have a safety net for himself or a parachute plan for who the the, the, the QB two is going to be in 2020, well, all of a sudden that seat in, in his chair in the GM's office at House Hall is going to get really really hot really quickly. Very interesting. If you want more of Dan Weeder, you can check him out on Twitter at Dan Weeder or in the Chicago Tribune. And Dan, I know you have a podcast with uh, Rich Campbell. What's the podcast? It's Bear Download, uh, Chicago Tribunes, and you can find that on iTunes and a number of other places. And yeah, we uh, will continue to do that throughout the offseason. We obviously do it a lot more in the season, but a lot of information there and, and the draft will get nearer and we'll be able to tell you about some of the prospects that are out there and a lot of other things going on with this team throughout the busy, busy offseason that is the NFL. Appreciate the time, Dan. Thank you. Have a great offseason. Thank you so thanks much. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, thanks. All right. I'm not sure if that gave us um, much to be optimistic about, but Jason, what's your predictions? So my three predictions for the decade pertaining to Chicago sports. First of all, I think that the White Sox win not one, not two, but three World Series in this decade. Um, I think that the young core that they have locked up through the middle of the decade is going to oh really – I think that Moncada is going to be an all-star, perennial all-star. Roberts going to be a perennial all-star. Jimenez is going to be a perennial all-star. Kopix, Moncada. I think that all – or I already said – I meant Giolito instead of uh, Moncada. I already said Moncada. Um, so I think that the entire team is built to win and win for a while. Um, so I think that they win in 2021, 2022, and 2024. Oh, and my gosh. Oh, my gosh. We'll see who's still under contract by the end of the decade. Nobody wins back-to-back anymore, so you can't do The White Sox will. Oh, my gosh. Um, oh, okay. I think that for the Bulls, I think that they have the first overall pick in the 2021 draft. Um, I don't know exactly who they <laughs> who they would pick. Maybe um, Cade Cunningham, top recruit in the country, is going to Oklahoma State. Um, but I think that the Bulls are going to have the top pick in the draft. Um, but by the end of the decade, they're going to be back to being a powerhouse team in the NBA. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win a championship, but they'll be back to winning by the end of the decade, you would hope. Um, and then my last prediction, it's going to be a bold prediction. I think that the Bears are going to make it to two Super Bowls this decade and win neither of them. Oh, no. I'm not sure I like that. I think that this team has enough talent and they have enough potential to be able to make it that far. And you see with the playoffs so far, anybody can run the table. I just cannot picture this team in my head winning a Super Bowl. I cannot do it. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, when I was in high school, we would talk about what we would be doing in the future. And to us, the furthest date in the future... This now, remember, was 1981, Jason, was the year 2020. It's a century ago. Funny. (laughs) There was something about the round number, 2020, that we all thought, oh my gosh, that's so far away. I'm going to be in my 50s. What the heck am I going to be doing? (laughs) Now it's here, and I hate the idea of actually looking ahead like that. 10 years, I was in the midst of a great career at NBC Chicago, 10 years ago, covering the Bears, Lovey Smith, Brian Urlacher, Sammy Sosa, the Cubs, Sox, World Series, whatever, the Bulls, all those Derrick Rose stories. I told you about that. I'm not working full-time anymore, so that's changed in 10 years. I have traveled the world. I've started playing a new sport in my mid-50s. I am a platform <laughs> paddle tennis player, which, Jason, why are you laughing at that? You don't think it's a sport. It's a pretty expensive sport considering the pullover I got you for Christmas. <laughs> I love platform tennis. I never played with the racket. It's in a my country life. club sport. It is, I That's guess. That's how you know you're in your 50s. Oh, God, I hate you sometimes. <laughs> 
well, I'm probably in the better shape than I was 10 years ago, physically. I'm not going to agree or, nor disagree with that. And that's a good idea. Out of respect. You and your brother were seven years old 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. We could only dream of the days that you would be graduating from high school, let alone think about hosting a podcast with me. Yeah, that wasn't even in our thought. Your sister. I was, hope it wasn't in your thought. That'd be pretty weird. Well, well, I would have made a lot more money if I was that you know prescient thinking that that. I don't think anybody would have wanted. My teachers didn't want to listen to me when I was seven, so I don't think that anybody else would. Well, no, I'm, I'm saying that if oh, I right, knew right, podcasting right. was going to be big. Um, your sister was only a year old. Now she's a platinum level. Excel gymnast in middle school. I don't know what the next 10 years is going to bring, but if it's anything like the past 10 years, you know that it's going to be a life that is fully lived. And I can only hope that Aww. you do the same thing. You are such Where a, do you look these up? You're a dick sometimes. You know that? <laughs> <laughs> you know that? You really are. Like sometimes I just want, like when you, oh, 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 I just want to say, God, 10 years a decade can make, but take the time to smell the roses. Enjoy the little moments because 10 years is going to fly by before you know it. And then we're going to be talking about you and 20. 30 all right oh god i hate you sometimes that's not my contract our thanks to dan weederer please follow him in the chicago tribune and on twitter at dan weederer to adam yoffe for his amazing support and expertise in driving this podcast artwork and logo designed by shay Canander. please subscribe to the sportscaster and her son on soundcloud itunes spotify google play and wherever you might listen you can find my stories on Fanside and my mom's on NBCChicago.com. Reminder, if you love this podcast, please go and you want to review it, please go to ratethispodcast.com slash sportscaster and her son. Did nope, I do it's, that right? Nope, it's just... Your handwriting is atrocious. It's, it's go to ratethispodcast.com slash sportscaster. Got it? Got it. All right, see ya. Later. Bye. The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years. Makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world.